Hello and welcome to Mise on Smash, the only podcast where we break the Smash Brothers cinematic universe one game at a time. I'm your co-host, Pete Simmons-Hayes. And I'm your other co-host, Simon Lewis Song. Simon, long ago, we were just a couple of boys starting uh-huh. this huge journey of yeah. the Smash Brothers cinematic universe. And I just I've just realized how big of the, the scope of this thing we're trying to take on. And Absolutely. I'm really glad that today we're taking on something that I think encapsulates that thought. We're doing Wind Waker. We are back in Zeldaverse. We kicked this whole thing off talking about The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, the iconic Ocarina of Time that sort of reinvented the Zelda franchise. And we're back in our 12th episode now, returning to Zelda with another Zelda game that sort of reinvented the franchise less in in gameplay style, but more in uh, aesthetic style. Uh, a, a huge shift for the franchise. And, and so we're back talking about The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker. Simon, what is your relationship to Wind Waker? So I am a huge Zelda fan, as we've talked about this before on on the show. Uh, as far as you know, the individual franchises in the Super Smash Brothers universe go, I'm probably you know Zelda is sort of the thing that I'm the biggest fan of. There, Earthbound is my favorite game of all time, but Zelda is really my favorite series. Um, but that being said, I really got into Zelda pretty late. The first Zelda game I played all the way through was Skyward Sword. That was my first Zelda. That was my first 3D Zelda. And then after that, I went and played Twilight Princess. Then I played Ocarina. I didn't play Wind Waker until the Wii U HD remake. Um, oh. so that, yeah, so that was my sophomore or junior year of high school. I can't remember um, that I played Wind Waker for the first time. And it is just such a lovely game. One of my favorites in in the series Majora's Mask which is the last 3D Zelda game I played that was released at that point actually is my favorite 3D Zelda um, but Wind Waker's right up there you know I, I I was definitely late late to the Zelda and Wind Waker party but I'm such a fan of Wind Waker I mean that's a game that even after I beat you know you can just play that game for hours and hours sort of sailing sailing the seas and and trying to get everything and it's just it's such a beautiful game um, really a, a work of art. How about you, Pete? It, it ages so well, like you said. Um, it was actually my first Zelda game. Mm. Um, playing it, my grandma bought it for me. I don't I don't think she even knew what it was because I feel like a lot of kids actually got Wind Waker without like knowing it was a Zelda game because it, it just has that... It, for the same reason it was criticized, it kind of has like a more of a sunny kid artistic quality to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I was playing it, I didn't know how deep the mechanics would actually go when I started, and I was I was blown away by it. Um, and thinking back, it's like, of course, this is the natural progression of Zelda. Of course, they do a pirate game. If, if in an adventure game, why wouldn't you have one where you set out to see? That just makes sense. So I love it. One of my favorite shows of all time is One Piece. I just lo- I love the idea of like starting somewhere small, like a small island, and just. The re- the next step is the entire world. That's so yeah. cool to me. You just you you get out on, on the open seas, and then all of a sudden, after you leave Outset Island, the entire world is open to you. You can sail around wherever you. The, the entire Great Sea is open to you in that game. So it's just it's such an amazing, beautiful game, and I'm I'm really, you know, I 
I am, on the one hand, excited to be getting a Skyward Sword remaster on the Switch. I do love that game. That was my first Zelda game. But secretly, I was hoping for Wind Waker HD to come over on the Switch because I'm dying to replay it. Because, of course, I'm dying to replay it because sure. it's awesome. And and our, our guest today has actually been replaying Wind Waker on his uh, Twitch channel. And Pete, I know that you made a guest appearance on one of those playthroughs. I actually, I actually caught a few minutes of it before I went you to did? work the other day. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't know you were watching. I watched for a few <laughs> minutes before I went to work. Um, but it just, it, I, even watching that for five minutes, I was like, God damn, this game! I just, I want to replay this game so bad because I, I haven't touched it since like 2015, the last time that I had my hands on a Wii U before I went to college so it's been it's been so long um, and it's just it's a game that has endless replay value so I'm excited to talk about it and it's such a rich story and and, in style I mean Toon Link Toon Link in many ways as the as the 2000s rolled on uh, in the Zelda franchise Toon Link became the more prominent version of Link there were more iterations uh, in the 2000s of Zelda games that had a Toon Link art style as opposed to, um, you know, regular Link. So, you know, for a lot of people, that is, you know, for people who didn't play Zelda games until they were on the DS or whatever, you know, like that is the definitive version of Link and and Zelda for them. So we, we can't really overstate its impact. And like you said about uh, Zelda reinventing itself, I, I think one of the strengths of this show and something I've had a lot of fun with is every pitch is so different. Mm-hmm. And with the fact that Zelda keeps reinventing itself, it's really cool that we're going to have probably a vastly different Zelda movie every time, which, yeah. you know, in this monoculture of superhero movies that we've that we've made for ourselves, it's, it's, it's very cool that we can have such different movies in the same universe. Absolutely. the same franchise, you know? So with that being said, let's introduce our guest, who is a huge Zelda head. Let's hear a little bit about Michael. Choose your character. In Amazon Smash First, Michael Dane wrote his bio in first person, so I will read it as Michael Dane. I'm Michael Dane. I'm just kidding. I won't fucking do that to you. I'm Michael Dane. I grew up in a small cornfield surrounded town in Illinois writing sketches and short video series on YouTube with friends of shared interest. I've always had an affinity towards building world lore and applying my world lore writing into a variety of projects, including my D&D campaigns, screenplays, and even the world behind the Golly Rogers Twitch channel. And without further ado, here I am, Michael Dane. Was I not supposed to write that in first person? It's not that just, you weren't supposed to. It's just no think, one else has. I think just what's part of what's also fascinating about the show for me is just like the pitches themselves. Everyone has a completely unique take on the bios that we have them write up for themselves. And so I really, I really appreciate the uh, unique flavors that people get in their bios and varying levels of uh, seriousness and silliness in their bios and different formatting uh, quirks. So I, I, Simon, I've almost come to you multiple times. Like, do you think we should give people like more direction without to write these bios? But then I thought about it again. It's no. <laughs> I was I was just trying to get into the character of Michael Dane. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, yeah. I think you did a good job. Thank you. <laughs> Definitely came across. Michael, 
as you allude to in your bio, you have a pretty rich history with writing stories for Nintendo characters, if I'm not mistaken. Um, in fact, you and Pete have a have a shared history. We have we've talked on the show before briefly in our first episode about Smash University, which is Pete's magnum opus from when uh, he was just a kid. Uh, you were a part of that, correct? Right, Michael? Um, I'm not sure I, if I was heavily involved in Smash University. Um, if I believe correctly, you voiced Falco. Oh, I um, I think that's how we met, actually. I'm like, could anyone voice Falco? And, and it, you're like, it, I can do a bird voice. Yeah, because that was back in like the the melee days, right? Or or the brawl days. I it was there, it was 2009, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was like a huge Falco main. Now, so so you lent your talents a little bit to Smash University, but I believe there was a Super Mario 64 based project that you were more prominently featured in with Pete, oh. if I'm not mistaken. Can you can you walk me through what that was? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> there it's an old uh it's an old um Mario 64 based series that uh we you know we we wrote kind of as a hobby just for fun. It was it was just like a reverse Mario 64 where Mario is trying to escape the castle instead of trying to progress further in. Gotcha. Um, right. And it was it was yeah. called like Royal Castle Escape or something, right? It was, it was called was Royal it? Escape. Royal uh, Escape. And what was weird about that show that show means a lot to me for a lot of reasons. It, it doesn't age well. Like like I don't know if any of it can be considered good, but I think it taught us it was a good place to fail. Like taught, I, I think it taught us a lot. It taught us how to be better. Yeah. Like it taught us how to care. Like like event like by episode seven of, of this weird show, it didn't it wasn't about the escaping anymore. It was about like everything else. It was just about like we it was just about like weird jokes we made and like weird characters and, and it just sort of turned into something else. And and I don't know, it kinda at least for me, I don't know about Michael, it like it kinda helped me discover what's fun about the creative process uh, and, and how you build upon something until it, it, it transforms into something else, something, something weirder and, and more original. Yeah. I feel, I feel like it helped me learn about the parts of writing that I enjoy, which is not so much the, the dialogue bits, but just like the building of the world and like creating like the lore and story of it all. For sure. No, I've, I've, I've caught an episode or two of Royal Escape and it definitely uh, I think I've seen like the I've seen parts of the first episode and then I watched a more recent episode and it's definitely you can see that growth very much emblematic in in the show. It's exciting, though, because it means that we have a real a real veteran of of writing for Nintendo characters on the show. I mean, Michael, you're this is not your first rodeo. Yes, um, there is only there is one time that Pete and I tackled Zelda like in a screenplay format. I forgot um, <laughs> it was not good, but you know, this Pete, I, I like to think of this as a round two. Like the I don't think Simon, I don't think I've ever told Simon this, so you Pete, really just dropped a bomb. I have I have my own 120 page Legend of Zelda feature screenplay. You, I didn't How want to you, overshadow do, you. Do you want to tell Simon about Link PI? Yeah. <laughs> He's a private investigator. <laughs> He's a private investigator. It, it was a, we filmed it in in. Um... 
filmed it in Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. You found a camera hack where you can like just free roam. And yeah, he would solve mysteries. Um, and and there there is a pilot available. Where who who? Uh, what's the mystery, Michael? Um, it's the like of the first episode, the pilot. Yeah. Um, it's the mystery of uh, it's the mystery of a murder that occurs on the Lawn Lawn Ranch. Um, Milk was involved, I think. Of course, naturally. Yeah. Uh, but who was, if I, I, I think Simon might really like this part, who ended up being uh, the murderer? Uh, the murderer was, uh, by the surprise of everyone, Musifer, the talking cow. It's the cat, it's the cow that's in, um, oh, it's the in barn. that one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Musifer. Musifer wow, and Milkington, I think. I'm was not going to lie, Pete. I feel a little betrayed that you've like kept this secret from me. I actually, days. I, I honestly wasn't hiding it, Simon. It I just blacked it out of my memory. Uh, <laughs> the, the best part is we wrote a script for a, a second episode, and when we showed it to everyone, nobody else liked it. So we uh, we scrapped it. Insane. Yeah, but basically, we are dealing with an expert here, right? And and Michael, you're a you're a Zelda fanatic. Is is Wind Waker your favorite Zelda? Uh, yes, uh, by no competition, it has been my favorite Zelda. Um, honestly, the Zelda series as a whole has been hugely influential since like my earliest memories of living. And you're a huge, not only are you a huge Zelda fan, you're a huge fan of pirates, if I'm not mistaken. So this was a perfect, this is a perfect choice for you. And I'm wondering in adapting Wind Waker, how much pirate are we going to have in it? Um, I, I feel as I, I describe, uh, you know, when we get into it, you'll you'll come to an understanding of what we're kind of working with here. But there's a lot of classical like pirate elements that I've a- implemented into this uh, this sort of pitch. Gotcha. I think that's I think that's smart, because if I'm putting my producer hat on as as producer co-producer of the super smash brothers cinematic universe when you look at the 2000s and blockbusters in the 2000s the pirates of the caribbean films were kind of a defining blockbuster franchise of that decade and they just disappeared there were like there have been like two in the last 10 years and they both like underperformed but that's just a massive hole in the market i guess that exists like I have to assume that because those movies were so big that there are people out there who crave pirate movies still. And there's, there's just no comparable, there are no other pirate movies. That's like the only pirate movie of the last two decades. So I think we're, we're really, we're hitting a very niche market that has a lot of demand for it. And I think we're going to make billions of dollars, Pete. Oh, totally. Especially if we keep, if we keep this artistic style, I think we've got two things going for us. I think um, animation is in desperate need of uh, a change up in in style at the box office. I think it's all kind of. Uh, I think without excluding like the the new Spider Man movie, I, I think it's all kind of merging into one style. And um, Wind Waker would be a a good way. Well, I think I think you're getting ahead of yourself here, Pete. I don't think we've asked the man the question. You're is right. This- is this movie animated or live action? That's a good point. Is it animated or live action, Michael? Before I get into that, 
um, I, I feel like I need to start with sort of a uh, an introduction to set the scene. Um, oh, man. I think in that case, we should go ahead and let him have the reins and we should break the story. Break the story. All right. So I'm, I'm going to be a little flavorful here, but uh, this uh, this story is a tale of three souls intertwined in a wish for freedom determined by the winds of change. Uh, this is uh, sort of a, a story with a heavy emphasis on freedom and the search for a legendary treasure known as the Triforce, a treasure with the power to grant wishes. There's a man who wishes for the power to break free of the strains that control him, a girl who wishes for the wisdom to lead her crew and free her father from his curse, and a boy who wishes for the courage to save his sister and free her from the monsters that imprison her. Guys, I think nothing is more freeing than the art of movement which is why I believe this story is told only possible by the arts of Broadway musical theater. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Man. Oh, man. I'm, Michael, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm a little mad at you because in, it, it was my <laughs> idea. I have been th thinking for a long time that the only way to do a Bayonetta movie is through a Broadway musical. Um, but... I'm so excited. I never in a million years would have thought to do Wind Waker as a stage version of Wind Waker. Um, and for our listeners out there, we do send a uh, FAQ sheet to all of our guests beforehand. And on it, it does explicitly specify that you don't have to pitch a movie. You can pitch a TV show. You can pitch uh, a theater piece, as we're apparently going to hear tonight. You can pitch anything. So... This is, you know, we, we had our first TV show a couple episodes ago with Earthbound, um, but now we're having our first non-screen adaptation and our first stage adaptation, and holy balls, I'm excited. <laughs> I knew a musical was going to be pitched at some point. I didn't know it was going to be this early, and I, did, I had no idea it was going to be Zelda. No idea it was going to be Wind Waker. Not in a million years. Not in a no, million years. I I'm serious when I say like Broadway music. You guys are gonna have to strike a deal here, all right? But this is sort of a uh, a theatrical play that uses like the musical stylings of classic pirate shanties mixed with like modern like stage musics uh, in order to tell this legendary tale. Oh my god, I'm so excited! I'm so excited. I'm gonna have so many questions, but I'll, I'll get into the questions as we go. I think that. Much like you first boot up Wind Waker for the first time and that beautiful legend screen begins at the beginning of the game, you need a perfect opening legend song sequence about a kingdom of old and a, a great treasure that exists out in the seas and a flood that just erased all of it. And that's why I say we, we spin a, a classic uh, sea shanty uh, and we have a song titled Don't Forget Your Old Legend based off the sea shanty Don't Forget Your Old Shipmates. 
sit ye round and listen here. Legends of a boy named Bling. Just but one of many tales of which wise old people speak. Long we sail on the open um, I, I Yes, I have created song titles for this entire um, wow. theatrical play. Michael, I'm in a whole group chat of people that is basically dedicated to two things. Um, basically, it's it's a it's my leftist group chat that it basically uh, talks about leftist politics and it talks about sea shanties. Is the other big thing it talks about. They are going to be so excited that you are leaning into the sea shanty uh, approach here. Honestly, sea shanties are really big right now, so it's good that you jump on it like <laughs> while you have the chance. So this is like an entire sequence just showing off like the legend of Wind Waker. We all know it. Um, you know, some things will be changed a bit uh, depending on how this story sort of plays out. Uh, but, you know, during this segment of the the legend being told, we kind of, you know, transition into uh, well, hold our... On. Hold on real quick. Oh. Uh, yes. Walk walk us through for for our listeners who who haven't played Wind Waker before. Walk us through um, just the gist of what the legend is. You know, it speaks of a hero from times past that fought against this great evil beast that plagued the land, a, a beast known as Ganon, and how this this hero fought this beast off and sort of locked this beast away into a, a realm um, of, of time. And over time, the, the hero disappears from the world, uh, unknown where they have gone. Eventually, Ganon breaks free from his chains uh, and seeks out the Triforce again. And so this land that's being terrorized and, and destroyed by Ganon is then by the gods sent underwater via a massive flood that covers the land of Hyrule. And so people nowadays in the current time during this uh, theatrical performance, they're all speaking of the legends of old of the, of the hero that saved the world and the one that has yet to return as this, this great treasure that this great this evil Ganon was going after. Um, and this treasure is somewhere under the seas. And we should establish that the hero that is being talked about here in these legends, if you don't know who it is, we highly recommend you go back and listen to our first ever episode. And you might have a better understanding of uh, what what story the legends are telling here. Yes, because I assume that the hero we will be following is not actually the hero in this legend. It, that Yes, that is true. This The, the legend that this uh, performance tells is of a, a new hero, uh, somebody who is unrelated to the, the hero of old. Quick question, because... With the stage, you open up a lot of possibilities on how you portray things, uh, much more than movies, just because one of the things I love about theater is there's a million different ways you can have something come alive on stage. Um, and one of my favorite things to see 
is how people do underwater and water in general, because I've seen it done so many different ways. I once saw our friend Jenna, uh, who did the Warrior Wear pitch, I once, her saw, I once saw her act as water. She was just the physical manifestation of water, and she, she, it was hilarious. She, like, flooded the entire stage just, like, crab walking. And I've seen people, I've seen the lights go blue, and uh, a, they cast a net over the stage and make it flow like a wave. Do you have uh, any idea on how you're going to p- portray uh, these seas? You know, I like the idea of like really long ribbons that they sort of grab and pull and extend on different sides side of the stages. And they just sort of shake those ribbons around and you see like the waves in those ribbons. Yeah, that'd be I cool. Think, yeah, cool. I think that would be really cool. Big budget. So, yeah, this is a big budget Hamilton-esque production. This song about the legends sort of like continues on from the uh the story of the legend to a sort of transition to the nowadays where people are celebrating this legend and and living their lives in the current era of time um and this is when we first see our our main character toon link who he is uh nicknamed on this island due to his very Toonish personality and nature uh, so, that yeah so the other members of outset island they actually they don't call him just link they literally they're calling him toon link yes they call him toon link or even cool. tune for short okay cool um yeah yeah it's it's a way to differentiate you know this link from the the other links right and and we have to presume that so within within the the canon of the Zelda universe, there are, you know, the links oftentimes in the games, they're not the same links. Um, there's a, you know, the, the way the legend goes is that there's a new hero born every, you know, couple hundred or thousands of years. Um, and so there are a bunch of, they're like, over the course of the whole series so far, they're like 13, 14 different links. So we have to presume that, you know, if that Link is Link has got to be a somewhat common name, right? So maybe there are some other Links on this island and they just call him Toon Link or something. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. They're, they, the people go about celebrating the legends of old, you know. They, the, in Wind Waker, the story sort of goes that uh, children, when they sort of come of a certain age, they don the clothes of like the old hero of legend the classical green tunic with with the green pointed hat which is very much the same in this story i imagine you can kind of like for the sake of like a more pirate inspired story you could kind of throw like more leather straps in there and like just more like like nautical type buttons like pinned in places you can really go like fancy pirate with it you know they have their own style that they've adapted over the the time in their in their new sort of world that they have so toon link has his sister Ariel and you know he has his, his dear grandmother um that takes care of them and I want to tell you a little bit about Toon Link here he's kind of uh surprising uh to a lot of Zelda fans out there this Toon Link starts out as kind of a coward and like a very cartoonishly 
sort of coward. It's 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 sort of a a thing where over time he's trying to better himself and and become maybe a bit more brave, but he's just got that innate fear inside of him that he struggles with. I really like this choice um, because one of the most interesting things about the Wind Waker link versus the other links is he isn't technically a reincarnation. Um, he just kind of looks like Link and is, ch- and is just like sort of, it's just the legend is more like thrust upon him than actually being him, um, which is, is a lot true? of expectation to live up to. I thought Isn't he was true, a, Michael? I thought he was a reincarnation. Uh, the Toon Link in the in the video game Toon Link is not a reincarnation. He's an entirely new character that sort of has to earn his way into into being a hero. He has gotcha. to prove himself to the gods. Gotcha. I've taken some liberties in that uh, for this story. The the purpose of this story. Right now, Toon Link is is just a a normal person, though uh, not a reincarnation of any sort of grand hero. Another fun thing about Broadway is everyone. Sometimes we use our actors as they all have their own distinct sound. Sort of like you use different instruments for different songs. You use different actors. Um, they give off different vibes. What is what does Toon Link's voice sound like when he sings? Uh, is there a specific style to it? Like I said, he's got a very tunish nature. So I imagine it's a very not, I don't want to say too whimsical, but like there's some whimsy to it. You know, it's when you hear him sing, there's some fun to it, especially when he's being like a coward. You know, you can kind of hear like, like, it makes you kind of want to laugh, but at the same time be like, oh, that, that tune link. Is he a tenor? Is he a what? A tenor? What, what is he a tenor or a bass? Like what, what, how, what register oh, oh, I, is his voice? I'd say, in? yeah, I'd say a tenor. <laughs> I'd say definitely a tenor. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So one day on this Island, um, during their celebrations, uh, and we sort of, you know, see moments of, of Toon Link and his sister kind of like going around the island, uh, having fun, you know, her kind of trying to rope Toon Link and doing kind of some daring stuff and, and show that he's sort of like afraid to do things in general because of just his his sort of look on life and, and how fear kind of controls him. And like takes away pieces of his own freedom. And one day, something big happens. Uh, a giant bird known as the Helmarok King sort of flies over to the island. And this this Helmarok King is is currently holding captive this new character that we have coming in. Uh, not new to Zelda, but new to the story that I'm telling right now. Um, we have Captain Tetra, who is being brought over by this Helmarok king. And the king is is being chased by pirates that are also invading this island, trying to get their captain back. Now, the classic story of... of the cla- In the game Wind Waker... Uh, Link sees Tetra fall 
from the Helmarok Keen, and you have to sort of, you know, grab your sword and, and decide, I'm going to go check that out and check the situation. Well, in this one, Ariel is the one who sees this action, and she sort of decides, well, I want to... I want to be where the fun is. I want to be where like everything's happening. And so she runs off and like Toon Link kind of have to like, has to think to himself, like, do I really want to get invested in this? Is this going to be like bad for me? But his sister is like adamant that we have to go. We're like, we have to check this out. How do you see the Helmarok King who in the game, you know, he's a big, big, big ass bird. How do you see him being portrayed on the stage? Uh, I imagine you have like, so you have this guy that this probably get a a taller actor and sort of dress him up in bird wings and like maybe put a, like a bird beak on him. And it's about the stance, the way you stand. So, right. You know, he can just sort of stand with some might sort of like puff up his chest and like, like kind of stretch out his arms, give the the illusion of big. A good actor can sell anything. <laughs> you get a you get a good enough actor, and you can believe he's a forty foot bird. Absolutely, absolutely. Can you uh, just because I'm trying to imagine um, what Outset Island looks like? Because because when you drop. When Tetra's dropped in the game, it's like in this forest that's like on this mountain, like in the far off part of Outside Island. What does the stage look like currently? Are there yeah, levels the to it? Right. So you have like a, a small sort of port city on the uh, on the the very bottom layer of this island. Uh, in Wind Waker, Outset doesn't quite have as many docks. Uh, that you would expect from a very pirate heavy sort of uh, world, which is why in this stage play, we're going to make it feel more port like, um, like give actual docks with like boat stations and, and dock houses and really make it feel like the world is sea based. And in the background, I imagine you see that mountain, like sort of like large mountain or hill with the forest above as a, a sort of set piece that later you move to and you, they have a separate sort of stage or not stage, but they have a separate set for like that scene. So, right. so probably a lot of, a lot of set changes overall over the yeah. course of the story, right? You know, it's, it's sort of a lot of set changes bouncing around. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So th- this is going to be a Marvel of Broadway. Like this Big is like, money. this is going to be the one, this is a lot our of spectacle. Set. This is our Spider-Man turn off the dark, Pete. Don't 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 say that about his work. No, this is this is a I mean, I think this is this is closer to a this is a Disney musical. This is a Disney musical. This is our, you know, Lion King. This is right. Aladdin. I mean, it's that kind of budget is what we're sounding like. I think Lion King's a good comparison there. Um, because you had to there were just all the actors had to portray something that wasn't human and they had to really get into a different type of movement. And we're going to see a lot of that here as we get into boss characters and a talking boat and God knows what else. Ariel and Toon, uh, as I will refer to him in his shortened nickname, uh, Ariel and Toon go up the hillside up to where they saw Captain Tetra 
drop from the the Helmarok King's grasp, and they look around and discover uh, and and sort of like kind of question like what's going on here, who are you, and then the Helmarok King comes back and swoops down and mistakes Ariel for for Captain Tetra and steal, steals her off and you see Toon devastated Ooh. as his sister is pulled away into the sky by this, this Helmarok king um, which causes a lot of panic in the town uh, everyone's sort of like freaked out by this this image of one of their own residents being taken away by a, a giant bird uh, and Link is absolutely devastated and his grandma is miserable is there going to be a song for this part, do you think? Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Um, so Link sort of has to, or Tune has to has to kind of deal with these new emotions of wanting to leave and save his sister, but also still fighting that fear that he has inside him. I'm no hero. I'm just a kid. A stupid kid in a stupid hat. Which is where we get into the song, The Cry of Tune, uh, based off classical shanty, The Cry of Man. Um, and it's sort of like a, uh, a song about his struggles with, you know, I'm afraid, but I need to ask these pirates for help. I, I can't leave this island unless I get their help, but I'm so afraid. And this is this, my cry. This is the I want song. It's yeah. per- perfect musical structure so far. This is, I mean, you, you, we, we open with our big group number that's, you know, the ensemble number that's got the legend. And this is Link's I want song as the second number. Yeah, this, this is a song that really dives into tune as a character and like, like his, the deep struggles he has within him on, on his own own thoughts of of his fear after eventually you know maybe near the end of this song tune decides like i have to do this like i just have to take that dive into my fear and and get out there tune goes to the pirates and he sort of like begs to them like i need to come with you i have to save my sister you guys brought this bird here this is my, this is what I have to do. I, I can't, I can't just stand by and do nothing. And after sort of like some personal guilt on the pirate side, they agree to take Tune aboard and, and, and help him. Uh, after all, they were the ones that came to this island and, and brought the danger here. Tetra takes Toon on board and starts to put him to work. And they sort of talk about what they're after and how the sister is kind of a lower priority for the pirates. The pirates have these pieces of a treasure chart that they're collecting in order to sort of put it together and find the legendary treasure, the Triforce. So that is their number one priority before going off and trying to save Toon's sister. So 
Toon gets put to work uh, reluctantly. You know, he he's not ready to start working on this pirate ship, but all the pirates are are ready and excited to have like flesh or fresh blood on board. And they seen a a classic song, Toonish Sailor, um, based off Drunken Sailor. They they're trying to figure out. You know, what role can this kid play aboard our ship? What will we do with a tunish sailor? What will we do with a tunish sailor? What will we do with a tunish sailor? Lie in the morning. What do we do with a tunish sailor? What do we do with a tunish sailor? Oh, I can see this so clearly. Like, I, I can see the pirate ship set and, like, all the actors, like, hanging off of the poles and, like, going up to, like... Um, what's the word? The lookout tower, and uh, I, I, I can just see the staging of this very clearly, mm-hmm. and it's very fun. Gameplay wise, this is the equivalent of when they're down below deck, and you, they make Link jump around those platforms to prove he's yeah. worthy of being their crew, right? Yeah, yeah, pre- pretty much. It's the equivalent of that, except this time he's we're seeing him like work the decks and be a, like a real sailor. Mm-hmm. Um, now. Tetra is not enthused as the re- as much as the rest of the crew. She's kind of she kind of has bigger concerns of her own that she does not that she she does not give in to some of the anti that the other pirates on her crew are are sort of giving to Toon and and Toon is very disheartened by all this this work that he's kind of put through. But after Toonish Sailor sort of finishes up we kind of get a scene change. Uh, the the set changes, and we we finally meet one of our our third big character at play here. Uh, you know, other than Tune and Tetra, we see the Helmarok King is bringing Ariel to Captain Ganondorf Dragmire at the Forsaken Fortress. Villain song, villain song, villain song. Uh. Now, Ganondorf realizes, you know, Ariel's not who he's looking for, um, and that Captain Tetra is who he needs, because Captain Tetra holds one of the pieces of the sea sea chart that leads to the legendary treasure. And there's about, like, four pieces of this sea chart that need to be collected. Before we go even even further... With his goal, I want to know what's the actor playing Ganondorf. What what's his presence? What's his what's his villain presence right uh, now? Because there's many different ways to play a villain and make it effective. This gives off like a very threatening aura. When you see Captain Ganondorf Dragmire, you think this is the scourge of the seas right here. This guy is number one, and he. And maybe, just maybe, if you look closely, there's a hint of, like, desire, like a, a desire in his eyes of, of, of something that maybe the audience could get behind, you know? Like, there's a piece of him that is hurting on the inside, but he exudes this, this brute uh, exterior. And we'll... We'll get into this more. We'll fully break this down during continuity approaching. But in the games, this is the same 
Ganondorf that we met in Ocarina of Time, as as we have met in Kyle's pitch for the Ocarina of Time movie? Is that the case in, in Actually, this? Actually, no, no. This Ganon is very different for a very specific reason that we'll get into. Cool. Um, okay. So the Cruel Forts Ganon is the song that sort of plays here, uh, or that that is sung here. You, you sort of get an idea of like the power that he holds in this fort and the army that he has at his, his beck and call. And it's, it's just sort of in, an intimidation song against Ariel and to show sort of like the strength that he holds and what he'll do to get what he needs. He wants this Triforce. He wants to make a wish of his own. Question about these shanties. Yes. Because I understand that the songs have a very classical sort of presentation to them. They're, they're, they're based off of shanties. But as it being a Broadway musical, are we still going with um, like, like, a sing, like a, someone singing a shanty at a bar and everyone singing it with them? Or are we going for a more traditional um, like Broadway big dance number? Like, like is that, what's the choreography look like with these songs, do you think? Think of it like a Broadway, a modern Broadway styling choreography and, and style, but with inspiration from like classical shanties. Like, like some of the chorus has like that classical shanty feeling, but it still mixes well into the the style of modern music okay. and, and modern like theatrical music. So sort of like how Hamilton is rap inspired, but it isn't actually like hardcore rap. It's like a, a mix of the two. Exactly. I want to sort of, because not everyone's going to get behind just like classical shanties, sun on stage. I, I, I get it. You know, not everyone likes shanties as much as maybe me or you guys, but that's why we're going to improve on it and like make it more, more, um, what's the word? uh contemporary sort of contemporary mm. consumer friendly you know mm, gotcha so we see the first night of the of the voyage that tune is still working on the deck of this ship and he's still very disheartened but he starts to hear singing from the bow of the ship and we see captain tetra who sort of like has her own struggles you know she's a very young captain that's trying to take care of a crew and that comes with a lot of responsibilities that maybe she's not fully prepared for but also she has this ship here that they're all traveling on as you hear her singing good ship lion and we come to learn that the ship that they sail is called the king of the red lions which in wind waker is is link's boat um right but we i've kind of merged link's boat into the pirate ship, the pirate ship. that Gosh. tetra has they're kind of one figure now and sort of during this song we we learn about her her struggles as like trying to be a wise and responsible captain for her crew but also that there's this curse that has been placed upon her father that has infused his spirit into this boat 
this curse was placed on her father, uh, who is now infused into the boat as a spirit. The curse was placed by Captain Ganondorf Dragmire, who, who she, you know, is, is clearly very upset with. Uh, it's not a cool thing to do, you know? This is a strong change for a number. This is, I mean, this is a deviation from the game. Uh, it's, I think it's strong for a number of reasons. I mean, in, in the game, the King of Red Lions as a boat is different from the pirate ship as sort of a way of um, you getting away from the pirates and you being able to set off on your own adventure across the Great Sea. But I think, I think in this setting, as, as a Broadway musical, you definitely want to keep Link or tune uh, with the pirates. So I definitely agree with the, with the change to make the pirate ship the king of red lions. Definitely. And yeah, it just the, makes things simpler and also cheaper. Yeah, the pirates are much more integral to the mm-hmm. the plot line here uh, than maybe in Wind Waker. They're, they're important in like the game, but you're not always with them. Right, and it keeps Tetra around, and you really need to have Tetra ra- around to to flesh her out as a character, especially because her connection with the King of Red Lions is so important that I think it's important to have Tetra there. Right, exactly. So hearing you know Tetra sing this song sort of gives Toon Link a new understanding of like sort of the weight that Tetra carries like on her shoulders with the responsibilities that she has to deal with. And he sort of decides I'm going to be the best worker on this crew that I can be because I'm not the only one struggling here. And it kind of like makes him feel a bit closer to sort of this crew and, and maybe he himself can kind of like learn from this. The, the ship has been heading to their next destination with fi- trying to find these sea charts. And they arrive on the first island since outset, Dragon Roost. Ooh. Now, on Dragon Roost, we have the Rito, uh, the Rito tribe, a, a tribe of like bird like beings who exist on this sort of fiery volcano on the side of a like a fiery volcano Mm -hmm. and they come in and they they ask questions about the the sea chart and what they have to do to to find it like what they're here for they're sort of hunting down this treasure and we kind of learn that the rito have issues of their own via a song fire roosts below uh, based on Fire Down Below, classic shanty, uh, uh, we learn that the treasure chart piece is hidden deep within a chest inside the volcano, and it's sort of been guarded by a, a monstrous lava spider known as Goma. This is one of the most terrifying things that Toon has ever heard in his life, and immediately... He's struggling again with that fear. We're going in that? Tetra is a lot less afraid. She's ready to get into it and take care of like what needs to be done. So the crew 
sort of get this guide to kind of show them through the volcano. This guide is named Medley, who is a classic, you know, Wind Waker character, very important. And she shows them the way through the volcano in order to find the, this treasure. And they get close as as they make their way through and sort of fight against some of the monsters uh, that are on the way there. We find the treasure chest, but it's not just them that's looking for this treasure. We also see that there's a crew of Bokoblins and Kremlin from the Donkey Kong series uh, on th- that are there on behalf of Ganondorf. Interesting. Very interesting. You might be wondering, why are the Kremlin here? This isn't like a Zelda enemy. Well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of learn about that later as we get more into it. But wait yeah, a minute. We have... Uh, Simon, this is why we have a Nintendo nerd on the podcast. There, I think continuity approaching is going to be very interesting this time. We are. I have a. I have a feeling we are on a on a one way course toward a certain Captain K rule joining that's (laughs) being featured on this episode somehow, or Donkey Kong Island, right? So, oh man, oh man. Yeah, yeah, there's 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 uh surprises coming. Goma appears uh amongst this crew uh interaction of of Ganondorf's uh crew of Bokoblins and Kremlin that are like joined together fighting the the Red Lion crew. And Goma sort of enters as like a third in this three-way battle and Goma starts singing a reprise of Fire Roost Below. This is a darker and sinister, like, reprise of this song. So you understand, like, the danger behind, behind like, Goma's power as Goma enters this fight. During this fight, a sort of dire moment breaks out, and we, I, I want to talk real quick about some of the crew members uh, here. Oh, yeah. Let's meet the crew. Yeah. In Wind Waker, you have, you know, some of the 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 crew crew, uh, like Nico is a major one. Um, He's the one that sends you off to play the games in Wind Waker, like to do the platforming. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll be honest, I'm blanking on like a lot of the other names. Gonzo, yeah, there's Gonzo. Zuko. Yeah, right. Mako. Yeah. Senza. Yeah, um, so you have, like, all those come back as crew members in this theatrical play. You know, they're singing the songs, they're having fun, they, like, trade, like, words and and stuff, like, lines in the play. Well, a dire moment happens, and Toon Link is the only one who is capable of doing anything in that moment that would make a difference. And... It, it's sort of a moment that would require him to work up the courage to to save a crew member from imminent danger. And he just, he fails to do it. And we see one of Tetra's beloved crew members killed by Goma. 
Which one? Like, uh, you, I want to say Nico because I want to say Nico because I have the biggest attachment to Nico, and I think that's the most tragic. Yeah, yeah. he's the smallest one. So yeah, like <laughs> Nico is like one of the newest swabbies um, before Toon joined, and so this was probably one of his like first big adventures on the on the crew and so we see poor nico like burned alive by goma's fiery powers and link who could have done something to save him fails to work up that courage and he is is lost but tetra eventually manages to slay goa goma herself um and ganon's crew is defeated by the rest of the the red lion crew and they gain the treasure chart you know we move away from there and we see ganondorf again this this sort of scene when get with ganondorf is a lot less sinister than the last one kind of see a softer side of ganondorf as a son, a bully in the Gany starts to uh, be son. And we learn that Ganondorf is actually just a puppet. And he's controlled by strings by a great master. Uh, we see a gloved hand from a faraway land that strings him along into its own, like, bidding. Which... We can sort of like, you know, imagine somebody coming on stage dressed in like, like, like an all dark sort of cloth <laughs> with like a single white glove. And maybe they can be like controlling some strings. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. So it's a like regular v- sized hand is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, like maybe it could v- be like, they, glove. you can wear like, maybe the person could wear like a comically large, like hand glove, you know? <laughs> Like it could. Wow. I could also see like um, you could you could do that with strings. Like I've seen like giant puppets on stage, uh, which might be pretty easy with just a big hand because you can have one string uh, control mm-hmm. each finger. And this, of course, I mean, this harkens back to the game where before in the final boss, before you confront Ganondorf, you you fight puppet ganon which is you know a a a version of the the ganon form of ganondorf that's a puppet so i i I think that's a really clever illusion exactly like this is not ganon this is not the real like ganon this is puppet ganon Mm -hmm. um who's being controlled by master hand of the smash bros uh series of um famously famously born into creation uh by ness as as yes. told in as told in the Earthbound episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> is that that's that's, that's, that's how true. it's done. Oh, that that's great. That, so you, you you gave us a gift without even knowing it because that episode <laughs> is not released yet. Oh, yeah. good, good. Um, so yeah, yeah. I get. I'm glad that got set up already, and now you can see kind of like master hands continue continued influence. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just good story. instincts, my man. During this song, we also kind of come to learn that the Kremlin are, although the Bokoblin are are loyal to Puppet Ganon and like ruled by Puppet Ganon, the Kremlin sort of more work for Master Hand, which could, you know, imply, uh, maybe not hard to confirm, but 
imply that maybe K rules got some like influence going on over there or like some interaction. Uh, those who are are more aware of like Smash Bros and how the Donkey Kong series works. Back on the the Red Lions, you know, Toon's feeling guilty about sort of his his lack of courage and what he did and tetra is furious at what happened medley's joined the crew by the way i just think that's fun having oh, people cool. join the crew yeah she's on there now um that's going back <laughs> very one piece of you yeah yeah it's a very one piece of me she's just there you know maybe she could be in some of the sods now <laughs> <laughs> Wait, got a cute little I, actually, duck bill. I have an idea for that. Um, I've got a pitch, maybe. Because yeah, yeah, okay. this, this would be very Zelda. Um, you know that side quest in Breath of the Wild where um, you're you're building Terrytown? Yeah. And um, with every new member of Terrytown, uh, the Terrytown theme that plays when you're in the town, it adds a new instrument um, and like makes the song just fuller. Right. Maybe every time there's a new crew member... Um, you the the song that they sing on the boat, the King of the Red Lions, just gets a little fuller and like just just get as adds a new dimension to it. Very, very. Right, uh, right. We're off to see the Wizard, the Wonderful Wizard of Oz esque. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, something that I I forgot to mention during the Ganondorf scene is we you know we see him being controlled and we kind of like understand. Uh, over like over the course of this song that to puppet Ganon, he's just a prisoner um, to the will of the master hand. You know, it goes back to that sort of like that wish for freedom that all three of our main uh, prota- or protagonist and I guess antagonist have here, you know, tune wishes to be free of his like, like, f- they're all sort of controlled in ways tuned with his fear and Ganondorf more literally by these strings of the master hand and Tetra. It not, although she's not controlled herself, her father is sort of trapped in this sort of boat as a spirit that she wishes to bring out of and give him his freedom. She's trapped by this responsibility. And that's true by the responsibility as well. So yeah, Tetra's furious at Tune, and a song sort of breaks out in the crew um, titled Leave Him Tetra, uh, based off Leave Her Johnny. Uh, I thought I heard the old man say, leave her Tetra, leave her tomorrow. And Tetra decides... You know what? We have one more piece of chart to to collect. I'm not going to risk it again. We're going to leave Tune at the next island and we're getting away. We're, we can't, I can't be responsible for somebody who's not going to have the courage to do what needs to be done. And so Link gets left at this island called Windfall, which in Wind Waker is like sort of a hub island. And Tetra and the rest of the crew declare their next location, the Forest Haven, and you see them sell off, leaving Toon behind. Toon being left by the the pirates again, he kind of feels that weight 
and failure on himself and a reprise of the cry of tune plays. Uh, uh, you know, he seems a revised lyrics of like his failures and his fear and all that. And you kind of like, you know, you, you feel for him. You're, you're like, I, I, you know, you, you almost had it, buddy. You almost had it. He's a little whiner. Yeah, he is a little <laughs> whiner. He is. He's, he's a bit of a whiner. Um, That's okay. Yeah, so we just see him on Windfall. Maybe, you know, he goes to like a bar and sort of like like thinks about his woes. You know, he can't drink. He's he's a, he's a kid. He orders a milk. And, you know, he orders a milk, you know? I like that. He orders a milk and uh, just sort of like kind of deals with his woes. Uh, and then he meets somebody who kind of gives him a bit more of a spirit again uh, as this very brightly dressed figure comes in and sees his woes and gives him the time of day and we hear the song Randy Tingle O (laughs) I was gonna ask I was gonna I was gonna wait to the end but I was gonna ask if Tingle had a role in this in this uh, musical I'm glad he showed up a Tingle song was manufactured for Broadway. Like, of course, <laughs> Tingle gets a song. Of course. And not only is it a, a song, but it's a song. It's kind of like the song that turns the tide of this story. Tingle comes in and influences, you know, Tune to to sort of brighten his spirit. Can you explain uh, for people who don't know who exactly Tingle is and, and maybe describe him a li- in a little more detail? So in Wind Waker, Tingle is a character who believes that he is a fairy or at least wishes to be be a fairy. Um, you know, he kind of sees Link in the game dressed in the way that he's dressed. Uh, Tingle's in a green sort of suit. Uh, Unitard. Unitard. It's like a a bodysuit. Yeah. Yeah. And in the game, he sort of acts like a a treasure chart um, analyzer. Uh, But in this, he's just a happy guy. Um, You break him out of prison in Wind Waker, which is kind of weird, but like that's omitted from this story. Uh, yeah, he's in he's in Majora's Mask too, and he's he's yeah. got balloons that lift him up. He's he's kind of, he's a very eccentric character. Yeah, Z- Zelda staple, very happy, uh, kind of weird, but there's nothing you know, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> wrong with wanting to be a fairy. There's, yeah, being a fairy is okay in my book. We hear Randy Tingle O oh, as uh, as Toon sort of realizes, you know, he can make things right. Uh, deep inside, there is courage in him, and he just has to be able to like pull that out and not let his fear overtake him anymore. Tingle is a fearless man. Tingle tells stories in his song of like bravery and how he fights his own fears and tunes like, "All right, I get it, Tingle." I can be the best me I can be. I can fight this fear. I can grab my own freedom. And Toon races off uh, to make his way to Forest Haven. I'm surprised yeah. no other game has given 
tingle this type of moment considering how popular of a character he is. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, this is Tingle's chance to prove that he's more than just a joke. So Toon sets off to, to Forest Haven, um, and we see the Red Lion crew as they're being guided through the forbidden woods by a a little Kuroke, a little tree guy. Um, you know, uh, maybe we can, like, dress up a baby on stage and, like, <laughs> <laughs> give it, like, a little leaf mask um, and this is Makar uh, who is guiding them through the, the forests of uh, the Forbidden Woods and they run into this massive Dekubaba named Kali Deimos uh, and Kali Deimos starts singing this song Blood Red Babas uh, as it tries to eat the crew in like Tetra. Uh, what is they, a Dekubaba? Uh, a Dekubaba is like um, a, a a plant-like monster. If if you've played Mario, it's essentially the piranha plant equivalent. Yeah, it's just a monstrous plant. Now, this is a massive, larger version of that. Right. This gives off real uh, Little Shop of Horrors, Feed Me Seymour vibes, right? The song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely like a, de- a very deadly Audrey 2 here. Yeah, he's, he's a double bass. He's like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. The, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna sing it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so at the last moment before Tetra is about to be devoured by Kali Demos, Toon rushes in right at the end of the song just to end it off with like a, a, a bane, and you see him slice up Kali Demos, and and the plant just withers and and dies, and it's sort of that moment where. You know, Tetra is shocked that Toon is here. And it's like they make amends as Toon realizes the biggest, like he's made one of the biggest mistakes in his life and that she can never get that crew member back, but he's willing to do what he needs to do now. He understands now what he's done and how no matter what he'll do it'll never bring that crew member back but he's ready he's ready to do whatever it takes to to get the job done to to save his sister to save tetra's father from his curse he's ready to to even take on ganon himself like he's he's learned from this and Although he doesn't become a hero of legend like in the game, he doesn't like gain that hero ship power. I like the idea more that he still is just an anybody. He 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 hasn't even earned like in the gods' eyes a role as a hero. He's just chosen his own freedom. He's he's broken away from his fears and he's decided to take it all into his own hands. Um, and, you know, Tetra makes amends with him as well. And she can see like his newfound spirit and she's ready to like finish this off. And the last piece of the treasure chart is with Ganondorf in the Forsaken Fortress. The Red Lion crew makes off 
from the Forbidden Woods. Uh, now with Makar, he's in the crew. You know, you can put like the baby in like the group with them, so that the baby can sing songs. Right? <laughs> can you like coach a baby to sing? I know Whoa. people have tried. Maybe not a maybe not a literal baby, but maybe if they were like Olsen twin age, you know? Yeah, you could have like a Jacob Tremblay up there. What begins here is what I'd like to call the battle for this sea chart as the Red Lion crew begin to engage with the Bokoblin and Moblin army that this puppet Ganondorf has has control over. And the as the crew engages and fights with the Bokoblins and Moblins, Toon and Tetra run off ahead to sort of fight the bigger battles that need to be fought. Uh, They end up running into Ganondorf, who sort of reveals to them that the Helmrock King has hostages, and that fighting him would put all of those hostages in danger. So Toon decides that he can take care of the hostage situation, and he runs on ahead to to face the Helmarok King himself while Tetra stays behind and engages in a swashbuckling fight with Ganondorf. So like, you know, classic pirate swashbuckling. Um, You see, you know, the running across ropes, swinging swords, spinning around, all all, all that, Uh, you know, that. Like a big set piece type of fight, like a a Pirates of the Caribbean, like fighting on the wheel. Right, right something crazy like a big crazy battle like that and during all of this Tra is seeing a a happier reprise of good ship lion because she's realizing how much closer now she is to freeing her father from his curse on the boat as as the he's become the you know the spirit we've talked about tune rushes on ahead and he begins battle with the Helmarok King. And in this battle, he seems a a third version of the Cry of Two, except this time, instead of being a song about his failures and his fear, this cry is no longer a cry of sadness, but a cry of war. (laughs) As Toon Link swings his sword in into battle against this Helmarok king and the his sister is there and the hostages there uh, hostages are there as they're all watching as Toon is engaging in battle with this monstrous birdman who is you know emanating like he's 40 feet or something but it's actually just like a guy dressed in like a bird costume you know (laughs) (laughs) you know he's six four yeah and he's six four he's six four he's you know he's just tall he's just tall enough he's just taller people out there but yeah (laughs) most actors are short so he's really tall for like you know Are most actors short? Is that yeah? A, a at least on camera. Whenever you meet a celebrity, you're like, "Whoa!" I guess so. Little, except for so. Elizabeth Debicki, she's really no, tall. She's huge. She's gonna play the Helmarok King. <laughs> so, <laughs> dude finishes this song of war that he's singing as he he slays the Helmarok King, and he finally um he he finally does it. He 
all, all this fear that has, you know, controlled him and all these, this, this monster, this creature that has captured and imprisoned his, his sister, they're all free. Now he's finally free from his fear. He's finally his sister and the prisoners are, are free from these monsters. He's done it. He's gotten what his wish would be. And he sort of realizes, well, I'm still not done yet because there's one more person who is struggling and they need, they need my help to free, you know, they're like Tetra needs his help to free her father. And so he starts rushing back to go, you know, make sure Tetra's okay. And we come back to Tetra and and uh, Ganondorf as they're having their swashbuckling fight. And then Ganondorf starts getting into the song. Ganondorf starts singing like a, a sort of mocking verse to Tetra's good ship Lion as he comes in and he strikes down Tetra and he claims all the pieces of the sea chart for himself. And he you see that moment where he puts them all together and this sort of energy emits from the this chart as he is finally about to get what he wants and he leaves having the full map to get to this legendary uh triforce that that you know the master hand uh, himself is seeking out to control since the master hand has heard of this triforce um and Toon brings his sister back, you know, making to from safety sort of back to Tetra and like the crew of the Red Lion, where Tetra, having been struck down in battle, feels guilty over her failure. But Toon, having learned from his great master Tingle that, you know, just because you fail doesn't mean it's the end, you know, like Tetra may have failed here, but she's got her crew still behind her back. She still tried and they're ready to see this to the end. And so Toon sort of is like, listen, you got me this far. I'm going with you. I'm, we're going to take Ganondorf down and I'm not leaving till the, the very end of all of this. And so they all agree to go and chase off after Ganondorf. Ganondorf's ship sails off to the Tower of the Gods, which uh, Toon and Tetra are, are, you know, chasing not far behind, which in Wind Waker, the Tower of the Gods is sort of like a, a place to um, that, that, that the gods have to sort of like test the hero. And it's the part in Wind Waker where you know, Link truly becomes like a hero. But in this version, the Tower of the Gods is more of a a portal leading to the sea below that the treasure chart reveals. Tetra leads her crew into battle against Ganondorf again in this sort of final fight for the Triforce as Ganon's made it through this portal that leads him down into Hyrule below where the Triforce is is stored. This this 
treasure of power that grants wishes and they're there in front of the triforce ready to to do what you know ready ready to decide the fate of the world here because it's all come down to the wire and how does the triforce look on stage I imagine you strap a bunch of lights to it, you know, maybe put a good glowing light in there. You want this thing bright and shining. You want the audience to look at the stage and like you want to do some good eye damage to them. The three like <laughs> LED like three like super powerful LED triangles. Yeah, you want them leaving but golden, like but golden but golden, 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 right. golden yeah. light. Like I want the audience leaving the theater rubbing their eyes <laughs> and wondering like if they're if they if they've got permanent eye damage, you know. I liked like, it, glorious. but like <laughs> yeah, I liked the play, but you know, it's a little bright for me. It's a little bright. So this final fight, Tetra and her crew are sort of up against Ganondorf's crew as he's got some of his like most powerful hitters out there at this point. Um, you know, you can grab whatever creatures, you know, maybe there's dark nuts, which are these like big night creatures. You know, Tetra's got her hands preoccupied here so she can't really engage against Ganondorf so Toon rushes in and they begin a a battle and the song you and me and the hand makes three is uh is sun between them how how choreographed are these battles on stage like how or how I guess what I'm asking is like how fast paced is it? You know, if they're obviously they're singing through the battle, like I am, oh. and while we're watching this in the audience, like, am I thinking um, like, holy shit, like this is real, and they just are also singing? Like, is it really fast or? It depends on what song, but I I think for this specific song, this is very fast paced and intense, and like they're singing at the same time, and it's like. How are they doing this? How are they this coordinated? You know, gotcha. like this is All the right. final battle. This one took weeks. Yeah, yeah. This was the part of the show that they were that people were dreading. Like, oh, is this uh, is this gonna go right? Did we like right. do this? When they do when they do high school productions of this musical, this is like the part that they're just like famously like a bunch of flubs of, and they're like YouTube. Uh, compilations of just all like <laughs> the worst, the worst high school productions of The Legend of Zelda: The Wind Waker and like the fight scene. <laughs> I'm gonna get you, Dana. <laughs> yeah, like all the voice cracks that happen yeah. during that. Yeah, like no one can hit that one high note. Uh, what well, maybe the high note no one can hit is like the Link scream where he goes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> through the through the course of you and me and the hand makes three Toon kind of starts to realize that like Ganondorf much like Toon himself you know was through his own fear Ganondorf is being controlled in ways that that Ganondorf doesn't wish you know puppet Ganon does not wish to be controlled as as he's being controlled. And so during this like epic final fight, you you see like swords clashing and like the power that's behind like all of Ganondorf's hits and and Toon's like, you know, courage here. 
you see Toon make the ultimate decision as in one last powerful dance maneuver, like this is the one that this actor has trained for and is probably one of the most spectacular dance maneuvers in the entire like performance, you see him swing his sword and cut the strings that control Puppet Ganon, freeing him of the hand's control. That is where the battle ends between Ganondorf and Toon, as Puppet Ganondorf here is speechless at what Toon has just done for him and what he has accomplished. And we see like the hand, the hand's control and influence wither away as the, he no longer has streams to this far off sea. And Ganondorf has his wish. He's yeah. no longer this puppet that, that he was created to be. And that leaves one more person who hasn't had their wish. Tetra is ready to free her father from the curse that this ship has the, the curse on this ship that Ganondorf has has done. And Toon and Ganondorf watches Tetra approaches the Triforce, and you see her make her wish. And we get that beautiful reunion between Tetra and her father, the, the king of this this land that once was and you know things sort of finalize there you know things come together and we start to get a musical reprise uh as we hear tunish sailor play once again and you see everyone you know they know what to do with a tunish sailor now you know he's he's saved the kingdom he saved the world he's saved these seas from like this hand's control and the hand might still be out there but for now they are safe and free and we see tunish sailors sort of morph and and change and transition into a reprise of of the first song in the play don't forget your old legends as it it dramatically closes out this the, this story of the Le the red lion crew and tune and tetra and ganondorf and the the their victory and that is the closing of that chapter and there are and tune and tetra head off into the sea because there are, are adventures yet to be discovered. Interesting, interesting choice here. So the namesake, you know, it's Zelda Wind Waker, but you've made the choice to not have Zelda actually in it. Yeah. Because originally in Wind Waker, Tetra reveals herself to be Zelda. Yes. I, you know, this is a, a new story. Um, I figured that a lot of like we already have Zelda in the uh, I figured you guys probably already have Zelda doing stuff in the SSBCU. So, mm -hmm. you know, Tetra is cool. I, I always thought that like it'd be much cooler if we kept Tetra, which, you know, in the sequel to Wind Waker, um, 
they kind of go back to Tetra, which I thought always thought, you know, that was a good choice. Um, right. I agree. Tetra is one of my most wanted Smash characters. I, I just think she's got a really yeah. cool design and a really great personality. Yeah. So we're we're gonna we're gonna keep. I mean, and not to yeah. mention the fact that the whole Wind Waker reveal that Tetra is Zelda the whole time. It, it's it's clearly a callback and a retreading of what Ocarina of Time did with Sheik being Zelda the whole time. And I feel like in, in, you know, that works in a game where the story is kind of taking a backseat to the gameplay anyway. And it's like, Oh, you know, a fun illusion. Um, But definitely when, you know, with audiences getting smarter and, you know, if they've already seen Ocarina of Time, they might be one step ahead of you and thinking, Oh, Tetra Zelda. Right. And so, you know, I think to, to either have Tetra not be Zelda or to prolong that reveal down the road, if it happens at all, or if, you know, if she is just her, a completely her own character, you know, I think that is staying one step ahead of the audience. Yeah. Something that I, I don't really see in Zelda stories, but it just makes so much sense here is all is like you say, right at the top, all three of these characters, courage, wisdom, power, they're all kind of running away or grappling with, with these themes in a, in a way I haven't really seen in a Zelda game before. Um, and maybe it would be more powerful if Tetra just chooses to be Tetra at the end. And, you know, even with her responsibility of saving her father, she chooses to live, you know, with, with her strings kind of cut and not be Zelda and just be Tetra. I have one question about... so. Obviously, it's a different Ganondorf in the sense where he's not the true villain of this. It's Master Hand. But is this still like the same um, like physical Ganondorf from Ocarina of Time? Or is this just like a reincarnation? This is an unstreamed puppet Ganondorf. The idea is that this is a, a puppet Ganondorf. Like it is very much not Ganondorf, but a puppet version of him that is made to look very much like Ganondorf. Gotcha. Is it like is it like his dead body being used as like a puppet reanimated by Master Hand or is it something else? Is it or is yeah. it just like created? Like is it is it Ganondorf's body with Master Hand's like consciousness in it, I guess, or like or a consciousness he created or is yeah. it or, or is the body created I- by Master Hand too? I, I like the idea of this being an entirely new being created because then it, it calls into question like how much freedom do they have? Like they're they they were created, you know, they are a puppet. They're not like a pre-established person that exists now being controlled. There's something new created with the specific purpose of being controlled. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Pete, do you want to move into continuity approaching? Because I have a bunch of questions. I do too. Let's just do it. Let's hit it. Let's do it. First and foremost, um, just looking at the the Zelda, the other Zelda movie that we've had pitched in our cinematic universe so far, and trying to find connective tissue between that movie and this musical. So the the Great Deku Tree, which in the game appears in the Forest Haven. I forget. I forget. Does he appear here, or is he not present? He is yeah, not in the um, 
the sort of like description I gave, I, I, I have not mentioned the Deku tree. Gotcha. I didn't think so, which is fine. I was just, I was wondering um, just because he's one of the few characters that is in Kyle's Ocarina of Time that we could potentially have show up here. Cause I know, I know in Kyle's at the end, Kyle sort of teased that uh, the great, he, he teased the Deku scrub, which um, is planted after the great Deku tree dies. And there's a lot of speculation that the, the great Deku tree in Wind Waker is, is the fully grown scrub in Ocarina of Time. So we could have that if we want to shoehorn the Deku tree in there. If we're not feeling Deku tree in Wind Waker, I do kind of feel like the the beginning of the the musical that is sort of a musical retelling of the legend. That's kind of enough. I feel like, I mean, it's what Pete was saying at the beginning, where it's sort of the strength of these Zelda stories is how different they are. And, I, and because they're so different and because that's, what makes them so interesting. I don't want to bend over backwards too much to try and link them up, you know, um, right. because they are so distinct. I feel like, I feel like trying to tie them all together too militantly potentially detracts from their uniqueness, you know? Right. And it just limits the piece. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That moves, moving into the next thing then, um, I have, I have questions about the Kremlins. Because of course, because how could I not? <laughs> yes. Uh, so in this musical, they they're really they're there, and it's it's teased that they're obviously that their allegiance is not to Ganondorf, but perhaps to Master Hand or someone else, right? And that's sort of yeah. that's okay. So they're they're I, really here as like an Easter egg, as like a hey, like maybe pay attention to the Kremlins because like they might be yeah. become important. My I my general that. idea, not to like hard confirm anything, but my general idea is that somewhere out there, wherever the master hand is, part of his army, he has like King K rule sort of uh, under control. And K rule has lent his Kremlins off during this, like this sea voyage to capture the, the treasure of the Triforce. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I think this is something we can expand further on um, because in a lot of Smash Brothers story modes, you're fighting a lot of different enemies from a lot of like different games. Like you fight Goombas, you fight, you fight like Metroids. Like, like there's a lot of different stuff like that. So maybe it's not as much as like he's enlisting the help of K. Rule, but he's enlisting the help of like, all of like these different franchises villains and like this time we just saw the kremlins you know they don't usually have post credits and musicals but seeing as how this is part of a larger universe credit like song where master hand and k rule are doing like a verse that's like- so funny <laughs> that's so funny where like after the curtain call and all the actors have come out and bowed there's just like a post-credit scene afterwards that's so funny like like people start leaving the theater but like like 10 minutes later the curtains reopen so funny just, they do that's, a scene 
to so anyone funny to anyone who decided to stay in their seats <laughs> like yeah. all the actors all the actors come out they take they had their little bucket like collecting for aids and stuff and then when that's done they come back on stage <laughs> and do the scene <laughs> that is so funny i love that idea just comically it yeah it might be great too if like the song is totally different and stylistically <laughs> from all this stuff right. like like it's oh, a pop ballad you could you could take inspiration from the old donkey Kong tv show that's know? what we were thinking because the uh, what's weird about donkey kong in this universe is donkey kong shows up in the weirdest spots donkey kong showed up in the sonic pitch it showed up here so that could be a fun runner to have. Donkey, Donkey Kong all... is in everything. He's all over the place. Donkey, Donkey Kong... Kong is our Nick Fury. Wait, that's actually great. Can we do that? Can Donkey <laughs> Kong be everywhere? Ooh, I'm here to tell you about the <laughs> Smash Bros initiative. What is the fuck that? I, I, I whipped on what Donkey Kong's voice sound like there. I could do the... Well, he just sounds like a guy. He, just, he doesn't like... talk. Yeah, but when he does, like in the show, he just talks like he just talks like a yeah. guy, and then he has a beautiful R and B voice. Right, in the cartoon he talks, but I guess otherwise he doesn't talk. I don't. Yeah, I like. I mean, Donkey Kong as Nick Fury kind of makes sense because Donkey Kong is kind of he's the original Nintendo character, you know? Like he's there. Right. He's number one. He's number one. Um, so it's kind of cool to have him be the. Although I guess technically that's Cranky Kong now. So right. there is um, some confusing continuity there. To make it different from Nick Fury, Nick Fury kind of like inserts himself into stuff. It might be fun if like Donkey Kong just there sometimes. Like, like, yeah. cause yeah. you know, <laughs> he's a giant monkey, which is interesting enough, but not interesting enough where it's like that monkey, there's a monkey in every single one of these. That's, <laughs> something doesn't add up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, speaking of tie-ins to other potential projects in our universe, there I mean, there are a couple things we could consider here because Nintendo has a really rich backlog of not, not just pirate characters, but also uh, just water-related things. Right. And I definitely, you know, I, I think we've, we probably don't need more because I think the Kremlins is like a really good tease to the larger universe. But we could also consider like uh, Captain Syrup, who is Wario's antag- main antagonist in the Wario Land series. We could consider... Delfino Plaza. Delf- you know, yeah, Delfino Plaza or Isle Delfino as an mm-hmm. island they go to. You know, you could have Inklings show up just like chilling in the water. Um or you, you know, know some some of the good places that you could have those kind of cameos are in the like port towns like windfall yeah. or outset just part of like the cast scening you know right, you have just, yeah. visitors of the islands right it'd be funny if in the ensemble it's like never mentioned but there's just like an inkling kid in the ensemble um <laughs> or like <laughs> Or like someone dressed as like a, a blooper from Mario, or 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 something, you know, funny like that. Um, that could be fun. There's definitely a, a lot to to play yeah. around there. We'll leave that up to the costuming department. Um. <laughs> I mean, there's also just teases in universe. Like you can have the Link's Awakening Island. You can have the giant egg, like sort of glimmer in the background. Right. As you know, yeah, it could maybe like. I figure maybe there'll be like a 
there could maybe be a screen at some point that shows you know what stuff they're right they're sailing by and it could have yeah koholint island with the big egg in the background or something what i'm really Uh, excited about is more of a character thing where i love what you did with tune where he doesn't believe he's the hero um and he's got this anxiety and what how is that going to manifest when he's face to face with the actual hero of time in the smash brothers movie like what kind of conflict would that bring yeah, it's it's a really complicated situation there with that because technically in this story that the it's it's not like Wind Waker where he becomes like the hero of legend in the end. He he's still just a normal everyday person. He's just taken like his own fears and turned it into like his courage and He's not like a legend, like a hero of legend, at least not one chosen by the gods, maybe more of like in stories about the the Triforce, like he he's now there and a part of it. Yeah, I think and, and I think thematically that works so well, just because I mean, he's from I think I think, you know, in the Hyrule Historia and whatnot, I think like that era that he's from is literally called like the era without a hero. So I just think thematically for like that world and like the world building, like it's kind of cool that they still, you know, they have this kid who has risen to the occasion, but they still don't have like a God ordained hero that's like protecting them from the evils of the realm. Um, but definitely, I mean, it, what Pete was saying sort of with the, the super smash brothers crossover that's going to be a whole can of worms that we open with how the three different links interact with each other. And certainly like we have to, we'll have to make a decision at what, I mean, obviously, obviously Toon Link is this link. And I think Young Link is probably going to be Ocarina of Time Majora's Mask Link. Um, Right. But we'll, we'll, we'll at some point have to make the decision of which link is regular link or are there are there only three links ever in our universe? Like I have a very passionate pitch that I don't want to pitch here. I don't want I want to pitch it in the Smash Brothers like writer's room we're going to have. Yeah. Um, Cool. I've got strong feelings about adult link. You know, part, part of me feels like that tune would almost be like. Because in in the legend of his town and everything, um, that that sort of like the people of Outset and a lot of the islands like Windfall around it, they sort of speak of the legend of this hero going missing. And if Toon like goes off to this other land where, you know, he meets up with like the other Link, I, part of me feels like you know he Toon and whoever else might be with him would probably be either confused or angry at why the hero disappeared from their land, but is not dead there. He's just alive somewhere else. It's a complicated situation. And then to add on to that, there's like another kid who's me like (laughs) what a terrible day. And that's something that's just like totally unique to him in smash brothers. And I mean, Unless we wanted to have Samus and Zero Suit Samus be completely different characters and she'll have to reckon with there being another Samus, but I don't think we want to get into that kind of words. I have I have a question because Link when Link uh one thing I, I noted did we ever actually it's called the Wind Waker. Do we use the Wind Waker once oh, no. in this whole thing? 
I, I have a pitch for this actually, and that's just you just use it as a conductor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Wind Waker is is more of like a. It's not like an in-story thing. It's like I, you could have like somebody on stage and it's like the the conductor of the story, you know? Right. I'm not as, yeah, I get what you're saying. I'm not super worried about that. I mean, we've had pitches before that definitely like the title <laughs> of the movie does not fully align with what the movie we got is. Like For sure. Michael, Michael's Super Mario Bros. does not feature Luigi. <laughs> Gabby's Luigi's mansion is not in a mansion, not a mansion. it's in a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> My other pitch with this Wind Waker thing is like, does when when Link is when this when Toons in other universes and in other movies, is he still gonna sing with, oh, with that his is with, a, that is a good with his question. baton that he has? What what yes think about it. yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> an yes. instant yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yes, I think he should. He I think to, I think he, he should. He has I think, to. I think for every for every subsequent appearance he makes in the universe, he gets one song. I think. Yeah. Like yeah, he'll if depending on where he shows up, even if if it's just the Super Smash Brothers movies, he gets one song in those. Still, I are think. Are there any for, music? Are there any other musically inclined characters that he can have a duet with? Yes. The answer is yes. But let me let me think about like who sings like Jigglypuff. Like he definitely has a duet with Jigglypuff at Ooh, some point. Oh, KK. He's not in Smash Brothers, but if he ever goes to the Animal Crossing universe, KK Slider. Yeah. Maybe it's like, hey, can someone he, he's like he's like looking like, hey, can can someone like give me something to sing to? And he's like, oh, I just got I just got just the thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good um, sonic sonic sings as of greg's sonic pitch does sing he has a band oh yeah that, sonic, that just makes sense you know sonic has a band and i think sonic, like sonic many... has a, a sick band yeah <laughs> like yeah, can you imagine is... like toon link joins sonic's band on like the windpipe <laughs> what, what like if, conducts them what if toon has like issues adjusting with sonic's music because you know it's not that it's not that he is like joined in a band and like scenes like in like a band it's that his world is just people that seen in like a very specific style. So when he comes in and meets Sonic, Sonic's got like instruments and it's playing in a band and he's like, what's, what is this? <laughs> They're going to be like, yo, what's that sound, bro? <laughs> Pauline sings, a bunch of Fire Emblem characters sing. There are definitely singers we can te- team up to link with here. Okay, that's fun. That's a fun runner. And I think I, I just, I, something, I get the feeling this will not be our last musical. People are going to pitch more musicals. In fact, I happen to know for a fact that we have another musical at some point in the pipeline. I think I know who it is. uh, And I'm really excited. I'm I'm glad I can claim the spot as first musical. You were first musical for sure. Your first theater piece. Well, I guess, I mean, Greg's was kind of a musical. But this uh, is specifically Broadway. This is like this is, specifically yeah. Broadway. This is our first Broadway music. This is certainly our first first stage piece and first Broadway musical um, with like non-diegetic songs. All of Greg's songs were like because it was about a band. Michael, I'm, I really hope I really hope you broke in the mold, and we're just gonna be getting a bunch of different mixed media pitches. 
in the I'm near future. I'm excited for the show to get more mixed media for sure. Yeah. How shocking would it be if somebody came in and they pitched a video game? <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually be pissed. I actually, I think that's the one thing you're not allowed to pitch, <laughs> unless it's like, unless it's like Metal Gear Solid Four, where it's like all cutscenes. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show and and lending your Zelda expertise. Uh, it was. An absolute pleasure having you on. You knocked it out of the park. This blew away. I already had very high expectations knowing I, all the lore expertise, but this this was awesome. I mean, I had a lot of fun. I got to talk about two of my favorite scene, themes, uh, Zelda and Pirates. So it was good. Yeah, and maybe we'll have you back just because you know so much about Nintendo in general and like experience writing for the. We, we'll probably have you back for the Super Smash Brothers Brawl episode. All right, uh, yeah, I, I'll look forward to it. Sounds good. Thank you so much for for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for listening. As always, none of this would be possible without some amazing remixes by some very underappreciated and talented musicians. Here are their credits, so you can listen to these songs without us talking over it. The Dragon Roost Island Lo-Fi Remix comes from Mikkel. The Outset Island Lo-Fi Remix comes from Lo-Fi Leah. Freddy Greddy did the Wind Waker Unplugged medley. Dr. MD Music did the Outset Island Medieval Bardcore Happy cover. The Synthetic Orchestra did the Grandpa's House Orchestral cover. Soundy G did the Helmarok King Orchestral cover. The vocal version of the Wind Waker theme comes from Mal Savadity. The VG Bassoonist did Inside the Pirate Ship cover. Diego Leal E did the Forsaken Fortress orchestral cover. Remix Rave did the Ganondorf's Castle remix. And Adrosaurus did Ariel's theme with vocals and lyrics. Phoenix Archangelus did the Great Sea orchestral cover. The Dragon Roost Island epic medieval bardcore cover comes from Dr. MD Music. The Godan reorchestrated cover comes from JK Music 2. Rebecca E. Tripp did the Wind Waker Sacred Shrine cave theme relaxing New Age remix. The VG Bassoonist also did the Beatles Shop on Real Instruments cover. The Sunshine Group did the Forest Haven in and out cover. RPG Mario 64 did the mini boss cover. Julia Henderson did the Mulgara Battle Cover. Taciturn Tunes did the Showdown at High Tide Mini Boss Remix. Game and Sound did the Ganondorf Battle Remix. Cleffer Notes did the Hyrule Castle Orchestration. And we also used music from the Zelda Hyrule Symphony Ballet. The piano cover of Grandma's Theme comes from Kentropy. And for the first time on Mizan Smash, we had our own original music. Over the course of this episode, you heard Don't Forget Your Old Legends, Tunish Sailor, Leave Her, Tetra, Leave Her, and Tetra's Privateers, which were all sung by uh, yours truly, as well as a few of our friends. And we, we thank them so much for sitting down and, and taking the time to help us make some music. Yeah, we kind of trapped them into it. <laughs> I don't think we asked any of them. We just sort of brought them into my room and said, hey, all, just sing. They all had pretty good attitudes about it. Yeah, yeah. That's why they're our friends. They're good sports. <laughs> uh, and as always, the sound effects come from freesound.org, soundsnap.com, the Zelda Wind Waker series, and this, uh, the Zelda series, and the Super Smash Brothers series. 
as usual, you can find us at Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And please visit us at our Twitter at Mizen Smash Pod or at our personal Twitters at Simon Lewis Song and at P. Simmons Hayes. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to catch you back here next week for another installment in the Super Smash Brothers Cinematic Universe. See you next time.